can start recording now. We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back. This is the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. I'm Trevor, a.k.a. the Iron Fist. With me, as always, Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Paul. G'day, listeners. And, and Paul for the those 12th. of you that are still wondering, I'm still on the doll. Yeah, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let Landon Hardbottom know that. Yeah. <laughs> and Paul the 12th Man. Greetings, Earthlings. Hi, Scott. Hi, Trevor. Yes. G'day, Paul. Welcome, dear listeners. Uh, if you're in the chat room, say hello. Let us know you're there. So, um, dear listeners... Um, we've had an eventful week um, in our little history of our little podcast. Uh, Woz is not with us and I've suggested to Woz and I've said to him, look, I really think it's best if he's not on the podcast because, uh, well, I better, you know, it's worth an explanation to you and everybody else. And um, basically, as some of you who listen carefully over the weeks would know, we were hitting roadblocks in our conversations with, and I just couldn't, um, I couldn't get anywhere, any traction in what I wanted to say. And after the last podcast, uh, Woz and Paul and I sat around for an hour or so chewing the fat and we had a conversation without the pressure of trying to entertain you. And in that conversation, uh, we just, again, hit roadblocks where I just couldn't get past first base on, on any issue. And then... I said to Woz that this is causing a real problem and we then met up on Friday afternoon and uh, Woz and I had a chat for three hours and 20 minutes where I said to Woz, uh, you tell me what you want to tell me about your ideas on this shutdown and um, without the pressure of having to entertain people, um, let's let's just try and work out what we think of things and see where our differences are and try and get somewhere in this conversation. And after three hours and 20 minutes, in my opinion, we didn't get anywhere. We still hit roadblocks that meant that the conversation in my mind was just terrible. Now, Woz had a different opinion. He thought that it achieved something and he thought we'd made some ground, but in my mind, I didn't think we had and that this was a problem which was almost like we were speaking a second, a, a different language where um, what he thought he was saying in his mind and what I was hearing at my end were completely different things. And it was, it was, it was as if we were speaking in code and neither of us had the, uh, neither of us could decipher what the other was saying despite the best of intentions. So that's... Um, that's where I, uh, yeah, basically pulled the pin and said, "Was I think um, for the for the flow of the conversation for the podcast, um, whatever it is between the two of us, just isn't working in time in terms of um, our conversation." So, um, so was accepted that fully. He understands that it's my podcast and I get the decision. So that was all. He was disappointed, but you know, fully accepting of the decision. So, hopefully, was and I can continue to be friends. But that was a tough uh, week. So, right. Um, so that's that out the way. Um, 
Now the tough part is how much do you people want to hear about COVID still? Because um, uh, Paul, you said, Paul, well, do we have to talk about COVID again? I, I did. And, yeah. yeah. I'm a little bit over it, to be honest. But, yep. you know, I can understand people still being interested and it's not that I'm not interested. I'm just a little bit tired of chasing my tail and probably your tails around the table week after week. Mm. Well, why don't we agree to shelve those things that we can't agree on, such as whether or not shot lockdowns work, mm. and we just have a 15-minute analysis of the news that's happened in that area, if you like, once a week. Yeah, we'll try and keep it really short then, I mm. think. So... Roman in the chat room says we're over COVID in Victoria. So Well, I can understand that because yeah. they're in the COVID central down there. Yeah, I, I can as well. You know what? I had a whole list of COVID things here, but maybe it is a good idea. Why don't we just skip them and talk about something else? And talk about something else. Well, unless, of course, you've got a religious nutter who's said something about COVID and that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then I think we should take them on. But have any? Yeah. Oh, um, a few of them have, yeah. There must be a few. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Okay, I'll skip right through my, all my COVID stuff. And um, Well, actually, I want to talk about one thing okay. with COVID, not specifically, um, just as a sort of a th- um, philosophical level. When it comes to fining people for not wearing masks, fining people for not being in quarantine, um, all of these sort of what some people would call draconian measures that are being imposed by the state, um, Paul, you and I would... Probably you'd probably disagree with Scott and I on a lot of those issues, perhaps. And, and a lot of that is going to come down to uh, a value system of the value that you put on personal liberty versus the value you put on collective responsibility, if you like, or or commitment to collective, you know, will. Mm-hmm. I, I guess. And that's the sort of thing that I agree we could argue about forever and never actually uh, convince each other of anything because it's one of those really tough value judgments. Exactly, it's a value judgment. Yes. Mm. So the only thing I wanted to say was um, in determining those issues, um, so you're very much pro-personal liberty, free spe- personal free speech. I'm, I'm, look, and- I'm against – what I'm against mm. is um, using a sledgehammer every time there's a little issue, you know what yeah. I mean? Yep, yep. So, hey, okay, even though it's kind of COVID-related, but I'll try and keep away from it just at a philosophical level, mm-hmm. I remember you were saying something like, why do we have to have laws? Because if we can't we just treat people as adults – and expect them to do the right thing. It was right. kind, of, kind, kind of one of your theories. And there was, an, there was an interesting thing happened with the guy Jim from Jim's Mowing. Oh, yeah. You know, the franchise saw? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, so with Jim's Mowing, he basically told his franchisees, mm. go out and mow lawns. Go out and do your job. Yeah. And if you get fined, I'll pay the fine. Yep, exactly. Mm. And... What I listened to an interview where he said, "Well, the problem is that the laws are very are vague. We've got the premier on the one hand saying, "Don't go out and mow lawns and do things," but when you look at the actual uh, piece of paper that they publish with their rules, it doesn't say that. 
and he said, well, I believe that our franchisees will be acting legally and so I'm saying that they should do it. And as a company, we believe in obeying the law mm -hmm. but um, uh, and so anything we do up to the point of breaking the law is acceptable. Mm -hmm. so, so I just thought that was interesting because – he knew what the sentiment and desire of the Premier was, but he wanted a law because he wanted to know where his boundary was and as far as he was concerned, it was ethical to do everything up to and including the law. Yeah. And so it kind of counters your argument, oh, tell people what you'd like and then, and then um, uh, hope that they're adults where here was an example where somebody said, well, actually, I judge things by the law and until you put a law in place, I feel I have mm. a freedom up until yeah. that point. So that's a little counter-argument to your Look, it, it's thought. not that I don't think we need laws for anything, obviously, mm. and I am not encouraging people to break the law, even, even these COVID regulations that I don't necessarily support in principle. I'm not saying people should go out and, you know, break the law at all. What yeah. I'm saying is I don't think that... You didn't the, want laws. You wanted guidance and, well, and warm okay. talk. What, I, what I've read about Sweden, for example, yes, Sweden again, uh, is that the government gave advice to the citizens and on the whole most people followed the advice voluntarily. And, of course, you'll always get a, a few, you know, dipshits who won't follow the law and will, you know, very deliberately just do whatever the, the, the hell they want. I just, I don't know. I, I was very, very angry at the early stages of the lockdown, the first lockdown, obviously, when people were being given, you know, quite significant fines for going and sitting in a park you know, or for eating their lunch in a park away from everybody, you know. I just thought that was really over the top and totally unjustified. Yeah, that's slightly different to the argument, though, where you were saying let people be adults and... And, and most will be. Let's, I, I yeah. think it's fair to say most people will yeah. follow guidelines if they're reasonable and if they understand the logic of... Following. Most will, but in a, in a pandemic, if 2% don't, that soon gets out of hand, doesn't it? Um, again, we're, we're mm. going to go back into all, like, the, all the statistics I, I, and shit. I, I was just trying to keep it at a philosophical level of, of just, okay. Surely we, yeah. have, we have enough regulations and enough laws already to, to, to pull people into line who really need pulling into line, don't we? Do we need any more fines for every little act of defiance? You know? I would have thought that the number of people that turned out to Black Lives Matter protests and that sort of thing, you know, that should um, in itself torpedo your argument that people can be relied upon to do the sensible sane thing. You know, but you had well, you had people that turned up in mass gatherings and that type yeah. of thing. Well, you know, it's it's a legal right to protest. 
I know it's a legal right. I'm not a supporter of Black Lives Matter, as you know, but I do support people's right to protest if that's what they feel strongly about. Hmm. Okay, let's try and move on a little bit and we'll skirt around the edges and Mm -hmm. not get too much into the weeds on COVID. Here's here's a thought. Um, Do you remember the case of Zabaroni? He was a Gold Coast acrobat who had um, AIDS. Oh, yes, and he was charged with deliberately infecting his partner. Yes, yes. And... um, and he was convicted, wasn't he? He was convicted and he then appealed and then, um, well, he was um, sentenced to more than nine years jail for intentionally infecting his partner with HIV. Mm. And the conviction was overturned and he was resentenced, excuse me, on the lesser charge of grievous bodily harm. Mm. And basically... What that case was about was recklessly careless. So in the end, they decided he didn't know enough about AIDS that he intentionally infected her. But he knew enough that he was recklessly careless, that he just didn't give a shit and just oh, might, might not have cared, just let's have sex and I'd bugger the consequences, right? Mm-hmm. I wonder if we might reach a point with somebody with COVID entering a nursing home recklessly, not giving a shit. Like, it's possible. If they knew they were infectious, Mm. possibly. And and you could get a similar sort of grievous bodily harm case against somebody for, yeah. yeah. I suppose it depends whether or not they knew they were infected, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Assuming they knew they were infected with COVID and they went into... Work home. and yeah. uh, whatever, knowingly, knowing that and they were being recklessly careless, not using any protective yeah. measures, then yeah. um, you might get a similar situation. <laughs> and look, from reading some of the comments we've been getting for the last few weeks' podcast, mm. some people seem to think that Wazza and I are just the you know these heartless people who mm. don't give a shit about anybody else, mm. and they couldn't be further from. The, the truth, really. Mm. You know, it, we just have come to yep. different conclusions, you're, obviously. You're, and it's not that I don't think we should do anything about COVID, obviously. I just mm. think that there are a range of other things that you're, should you're, be You're done. doing a numbers calculation. Basically. Which, in, in our view, Scott and I, doesn't add up. Yeah. And, yeah. And so, in my view, it does add up, yeah. obviously. So but, we're yeah. at odds on that one. But. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, with uh, Zabaroni, if you're intentionally spreading AIDS around, recklessly careless, mm. you're in jail on grievous bodily harm, mm. and potentially the same thing might happen, I suspect, um, to somebody with, with this uh, coronavirus. It's, it's possible. Mm. Yep. Well, you know, did, uh, despite everything, you know, if I did discover I was COVID positive, of course I would isolate myself, you mm. know. Yes. I mean, any yeah. of us would. We don't want to yeah. make other people sick. Yeah. The problem is there are people out there who wouldn't, unless there was a law telling them and there not might, to. There might be. That's yeah. true. Yeah. What did you think about those young women who went shopping and partying in Melbourne and then came back and got into a whole lot of trouble? Well, you Didn't know. people pile on them, though? I mean, I, mm. I almost felt sorry for them, I have to say, because... They, be, they became objects of national vilification. And, and I looked at them and I thought, uh, cup, 
you know, a couple of dumb young chicks who really didn't appreciate the uh, circumstances they were getting themselves into. I've no doubt that the uh, photograph that was chosen and put on the front page of the Courier-Mail was a hatchet job by the Courier-Mail. They weren't very flattering, were they? No, they weren't. Um, You know, I think that it was definitely a hatchet job by the Courier-Mail. However, if anyone deserved a hatchet job, it was probably those three. You know, yeah, because they lied to the board of police and all the rest of it. They should have gone into quarantine when they arrived back home. They didn't. They deliberately lied. And then there was even a case where one of the girls was refusing to help the cops out when they were trying to ask her questions. Yeah, they were a bit naughty. Like if we hear of people, I don't know, stealing a car and going for a joyride, you know, well, the police are – well, the media is always outside the magistrate's court filming people and saying oh, yeah. XYZ appeared in court today on that crazy case, remember, you know, and that's happening all the time. People are exposed for their for their crimes quite often. I guess in this case, people in Victoria, for example, the security guards and whatnot who were in, um, involved in the quarantining, we never heard who they were. They were never – Outed in any no, way. No, they were never outed in any way. That's mm. quite right. Um, I think those three girls were probably held up for ridicule because of, one, the way they looked, two, because there was a hell of a lot of uh, rumours around about their personal behaviour and that sort of stuff, who they were cavorting with down yeah. in Victoria. Yeah. Um, you can read between the lines there and probably assume that they are at least partially involved with criminal syndicates down there. Mm. You, anyway. Um, that was the suggestion. Yeah, and I think that the main thing was they lied to the border guards when they got up here and that's why the shit hit the fan. Now, you know, speaking as a old died-in-the-wool Tory, I hope the courts throw the book at them. (laughs) Scott, you're going back to your your roots. (laughs) I really hope they spend some time inside. Really? Yeah. (laughs) No, 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 no. no. Come on, let's get away from jailing everyone. Jailing's probably... Jailing doesn't do anyone any good, particularly for yeah, non-violent crimes like that. Fair enough, but mm. I really hope that something – I really hope that they uh, experience the full weight of the law. Mm. And they if that will have significant fines to pay. Yeah, they'll have mm. significant fines to pay, which I don't know what their financial circumstances are. Mm. But um, just, just back to the security guards, mm. I feel a little bit sorry for them. Because these are untrained people. Yeah, but they but, were banging some of the people inside the inside the hotel. Well, yeah. were they trained to bang? <laughs> <laughs> See, they didn't get proper didn't guidelines pro- about how to bang the, the, the guests without <laughs> infecting them. No, I feel sorry for them in the sense that um, it would have been much easier for the police, who are people with obvious authority, because I've got a link, dear listener, in the show notes to sort of a description of what was going on in those hotels. Oh, yeah, that was bloody awful, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that, that thing about the crazy floor and that it sort of stuff. Awful, yeah, it sounded awful. It did sound yes. awful. Yes. Yeah. According to this witness, uh, they had mental health people coming to sedate them, said the guest, who asked not to be named. They were asking for Valium for sleeping pills. They were begging to be let out and running for the doors. And um, sort of in that article, a picture is painted of people just going crazy with frustration of being locked up and and basically figuring the more noise they made, the more chance they had of being let outside for uh, some relief. And you've got security guards who, who have very little power. Like That's right. 
quite powerless people yeah. with no training mm-hmm. being put in charge of this where in the case of police, A, they've got training in dealing with people in stressful situations and B, they, they've too. got extra powers where they can That's say right. to people, I'm enforcing the law they on have you. legal authority. Yeah. So... Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out. I, I mean, I really like Daniel Andrews, um, but his government seems to have made a huge error in, in relying not, not on not using the police yeah. or the what, army or something. Yeah. Well, what like that do you make of that? Quarantine. Because he's he's saying that the 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 army, you know, assistance from the military was never offered, and, and then you've got the, the defence minister, minister is saying, saying it's a no, not yes, nonsense. it was yeah. right at yeah. the beginning of the pandemic. The prime minister offered it to every state. Yeah, and Andrews just basically rebuffed it. Yep. Yeah. So, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, it was probably, you know, it really wouldn't surprise me if there was some sort of cost transfer between the Commonwealth and the states on that. I wouldn't be surprised if Victoria is being hit up with a bill. He didn't want for to the, pay uh, the bill. Well, exactly. You know, yeah. it really wouldn't surprise me if the Commonwealth is charging Victoria for having the ADF down really? there right now. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me at all. I, I have no idea. I don't know how that works. It wouldn't surprise me if there was some sort of charge. One for department it. charges another department. Yeah, that's how it works in the public service to yeah. some extent. The police so. are certainly, you know, hired out, aren't they, yeah. for events or at least the the event holders are mm. billed for the police being yeah. there. I, I don't know. It's possible. Anyway, yeah. the, the whole point is it was uh, it was a hell of a lot cheaper to use private security guards than it was to use the coppers, oh. and that's why they went okay. with private security guards. However, it's turned around and bitten them in the arse now. It sure has. Yeah. It was a very bad decision with hindsight. Yeah. Bromman in the chat yeah, room. she's bang on the money. Yeah, there, you she? are, Bromman. Uh, yeah. She says the irony is that if the Libs had been in power in Victoria, they wouldn't have hesitated to outsource security to the private sector. So we would have been in the same position we're in now. That, that is true. But, um, but New South but, Wales has a Liberal government and they used the army, didn't they? It seems like they did, yes. So That's just true. being a Liberal government doesn't mm. necessarily mean that they won't use defence force. You'll, you'll never know. But certainly as a philosophy, they're quite sort of um, up for the idea of outsourcing to private enterprise. That's mm. their, you know. That's their mm. modus operandi. Mm. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, look, okay, so we're not getting too much into the weeds of, of, of lockdowns and stuff, but we're still skirting around COVID topics. Um, <laughs> let, let's just... Um, there was talk of a, a protest, um, an anti-lockdown protest in Melbourne, and there was talk of one in Brisbane, and they've arrested some people who were alleged to be organisers. Yes. Before the event took place. Yeah, well. What but, did but, you guys well, make of Well, they were arrested for organising, not for protesting but for organising and that was an event which had taken place. So Weren't they the arrested act- for something that was going no, to take no, place? No, they were arrested for the act of organising and the act of organising had taken oh, place. Oh, I see. So when you say, oh, it's something that hadn't actually happened so how can you arrest somebody for it? Well, the thing that they're arrested for has actually happened. And is that a, an offence? Of, of of course, planning to do something is an offence really? if it's bad enough. If I plan to murder somebody, of course it's an offence. Yeah, but murdering somebody is a really bad thing. But going out in the street, well, now you're is not. now you're moving into the territory of it wasn't such a bad thing. 
But the point of we were first dealing with past and future events, and I was just getting it clear, this was a present event that they were charged with, the act of planning. Now you're moving into the territory of, well, it's really not that bad. I shouldn't have been, yeah. And clearly you don't think that they should have been... Absolutely not. They should have been allowed to pro- organise their protest. Absolutely. And to protest. I mean, it's a country where, mm. we, where we say, you know, protesting is, mm. is a civil right. Mm. So how on earth could organising a protest not be part of that civil right? Well, this is where we have the conflict of personal liberties versus... Uh, oh, uh, I, I'm not comfortable with that at all. Of I course, mean, what, what else are they going course, to tell us? We, 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 of course you're not. But, but We wouldn't dare organise. You know? um, planning a bomb? Yeah, but a bomb is a dangerous thing. Yeah, well, this is the point. You're asking me, and I'm just giving you an example, thanks to Watley. Like, you're asking, what next? Well, there's an example. No, like, no, 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 no. So, That's so, common sense. We all agree that planning to kill people and blow things up should be a criminal offence. Yes. Organising a protest, you know, or I but, mean, but, but, to but, me it's in, it's in the same, same but, category as organising a union meeting or something like that. Paul, know? it's what I said earlier, it's this conflict between personal rights, personal liberties, and what we as a collective society feel we can impose as acceptable behaviour. And we will not agree on these issues. But just on that so point. So do you think busting these people for organising a protest, that they should be held criminally liable? In this time of a pandemic, yes. Okay. How about you, Scott? Well, I reluctantly agree with Trevor because it is extraordinary times, you know. Um, Because Pete... You know, we just got to look across the ditch to see how successful New Zealand was. New Zealand squashed that virus. Now... You know, Jacinda Ardern was having a press conference on the way over in the car, which I don't know what what was about. But she why was, didn't you bring her in and introduce? You know, because she's not here. She's oh. on, the, on the car, on the car on news radio. Oh, and on the radio in the car. Dickhead. You know, so, <laughs> um, now that was around about what New Zealand's three hours ahead of us, are they? So it'd be about ten p.m. that she was having this press conference over there, and she was stand, she was being flanked by her um, chief health officer over there. So that would be very interesting to find out what's going on there because maybe they've had another case of community transmission over there. You know, Jacinda Ardern was born lucky. I mean, who you know, who wouldn't have who wouldn't have had success in a country like New Zealand? You know, less than five million people, about three cities, and you know Yeah, I know. Who but- wouldn't have succeeded with that country? Well, she shut everything down. I mean everything down. You couldn't even go out and buy takeaway over there. Well, you know, there was no food delivery or anything like that. Well, she shut the whole bloody country down. You could say down. the same about Victoria, and you could say, "Well, Daniel Andrews no, no, didn't." I think Victoria is okay. Very she has announced that Auckland is going back into lockdown, according wow. to Bronwyn. Wow. Why Bronwyn? Have they have they had that's some that's new community transmissions over there? Have they? Hmm. So that's interesting. It is very interesting. Yeah. Okay. I've just got up on the screen. Um, a, a survey that was part of the nine reader survey. Um, do stores have the right to deny entry to shoppers who refuse to wear a mask? And 65% said yes, regardless of the store location. Um, mm. And 26% said yes, if the store is near a COVID cluster. So 
And should it be compulsory for kids to wear masks when attending school in Australia? Well, actually, go back to the shops. Paul, as a matter of interest, should a shop be able to insist on mask wearing? Yeah, maybe. Okay. I mean, it's it's their business, you know. It's it's like, you know, they put up signs. Uh, agreeing to have your bag searched is a condition of entry. I, I personally don't like having my bags checked because it, you know, but uh, anyway, that's another issue. Yep. I, I've, I've changed my mind a bit on masks. I certainly was against compulsory mask wearing a week or two ago. I'm, I'm starting to have a second, second thoughts about that because, as you know, I'm against lockdown, but I'm certainly open to whatever other measures might be seen as effective, mm. including masks. So, yeah, I don't have a huge problem with stores insisting people wear masks. Mm. Anyway, according to Bronwyn and Ben, uh, Bronwyn and Craig, sorry, they have found um, four new cases of COVID nineteen were discovered in Auckland. Okay, mm. there we go. Mm. That will so, be interesting. So she hasn't killed it. Well, apparently not, and that's got to, you've well, got to ask the question, how did it get out of hotel quarantine and that sort of thing? Mm. Yeah, look, I, I have to say I'm not surprised. I don't think really realistically we can get rid of this virus mm. anytime soon, if ever. Well, once we get a vaccine, we'll be right, but it's going to have to have... Who knows when that might come. Well, they reckon it's probably 18 months away before you're going to have enough of it out in the... before you're going to have enough to immunise the whole community. Yeah, and that's assuming it works, you know. Well, that's it. I mean, they're talking about the first iteration of it being quite weak. Mm. Now, I don't know how long it's going to take before you get one that you get one shot for life. I don't know. And the viruses mutate. Well, so, no, the viruses mutate. I mean, you know, the the normal flu uh, vaccine that they use every year, it's not the same every year. No, no, it? it's, it's not the same every year. It's a different thing every month. Mm. Uh, Bronwyn, I've found with masks fogging up with your glasses, I fully appreciate those. Now, my little disposable one's got a plastic thing in the top that you just pinch over your nose and that actually helps reduce the amount of fog that ends up on your glasses. Mm. Sorry mm. about that. I've just got a conversation going with Bronwyn right now. <laughs> right. Very good. Now, okay, we're done with COVID for the time. We, we skirted around it. We'll, we'll, we'll just goodbye COVID for the rest of the program. <laughs> just, just to give everyone a break. Okay. What else can we talk about? Yeah. Let's talk about um, a BBC presenter quits after the BBC used the N-word in a report. So a radio presenter in the BBC quit his job after the corporation defended its decision to broadcast the N-word in a television news broadcast. He said he no longer felt comfortable working for the national um, broadcaster. Now... um, um, on this, he's quoted as saying, on this occasion, I just don't think I can look the other way. We live in a world that needs to change. Systems need to change. Organisations that need to change. And 18,000 people complained to the BBC. Um, 18,000? Yeah. yeah. Um, How many million? 65 million, is it? No, yeah. it's more than that, I think. Mm. The BBC... Um, but around that. Yeah. Basically... The report by the BBC social affairs correspondent Fiona Lambden repeated the language allegedly shouted during the attack on a young black man in Bristol. The BBC has defended its decision, saying the inclusion of the racial slur was made with the approval of the victim and his family who wanted to show the severity of the attack. 
They said the decision to broadcast the word followed discussions involving senior editorial figures and was preceded by a warning to viewers. So there's a racial attack. The BBC uses the actual word. The family says, yes, BBC, please use that word in the report. And now one of the things here is the transfer of American culture, I think. Mm. Like what is acceptable in America and unacceptable is kind of being exported around the world on this issue to some extent, mm. I think. But it would have been ridiculous had the BBC gone into it and that sort of stuff and said, you know, and you know, this bloke yelled out the N word. You know, it wouldn't have had the same sort of uh, feeling, would it? Mm. Whereas had they actually used the word, you know, you know so I'm not using it, mm. but use it, Scott. No, I'm not going to use Go it. On. Um, no, I'm not going to use it. Um, <laughs> Had they've actually not used it, had they've said he shouted the N-word, I don't think it would have had the same impact as what they actually said by saying it. You know, hmm. by saying it, it was very People strong that, and visceral. that word as if it has some sort of evil magic power. Well, it, it's it, just a fucking word, yeah, for I goodness know, sake. It's, you know? it's, like, Vold- it's <laughs> like Voldemort. Yeah. It's <laughs> ridiculous how people give power to the word by treating it as if it has that power. Mm. It really is. It's, I find the whole, the whole, you know, issue ridiculous. Mm. I mean, it's absurd. Mm. It's like when I was a kid, you know, you couldn't say fuck or cunt or things like that, mm. you know, and now you can because mm. people realise the words that, don't contain any that is true. inherent you, power. You hear it a lot now on the ABC. I was watching Mad as Hell the other night and they – they use fuck all the time. Yeah. yeah. There's like a podcast of the way they were carrying on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So words change over time. Oh. That one's getting less acceptable. Um, and, but, you know, but it's as, also- as you said, the word was mm. used in context, you know. Mm. Yes. It wasn't used as, yes. uh, to abuse anyone yes. or to insult anyone. Yes. And this is the problem. And they when- had, you know, the, the biggest thing for me was they went and they spoke to the family beforehand. Mm. And the family said, yes, use it. Yeah. Yes. And that should have been enough for anyone. Oh, yeah. So, 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 yeah, con- context. Offence is you can't make somebody feel offence. No. Like, it depends on them yes. as to whether they're offended and how choice. they're offended. And the victim's family in this case, presumably the victim, I don't know, um, that's the problem with with harm, which is so subjective. Mm. Um, you've got to take into account, well, yeah, it's that's the problem with subjective offence. Mm. Yeah. Right. Um, what else have I got on the list here that um, um, – that it's not about COVID. Indeed, yes. Um, <laughs> ah, what health you got? Okay, I've got uh, Josh Frydenberg on Insiders drew inspiration from Ronald <laughs> Reagan Thatcher. and Margaret Thatcher, <laughs> saying... That's not really a surprise, is it? See, I told you Insiders was a right-wing rubbish. Anyway, um, so... Saying no, that they not, dealt it's very not Insider's su- fault. It was it was Friday's yeah. fault. I, he I'm is just, the federal treasurer I after am, all. I am joking. That's good. <laughs> he said that um, Reagan and Thatcher dealt very successfully with the challenges that they faced, particularly stagflation. Uh, the reality is that Thatcher and Reagan cut red tape and cut taxes and delivered stronger economies. Yeah, and they both delivered massive budget deficits in the wake of their stronger economy too. Yep. You know, it's Josh. If you're listening. Of course he's listening. Oh, I hope so, Josh, because history is a wonderful thing. 
And you've just got to compare the history of the late 70s and 80s and you compare that to now. Mm -hmm. If you look at the Australian economy in the late 70s and 80s and you compare it to now, they are vastly different things because we had a government-owned telecommunications company that was 100% government-owned. We had a government-owned, 100% government-owned international airline called Qantas. All these things have been privatised now. We had our own bank that no, made that huge exactly. profits for, for the citizens of the country. I know, and that's been privatised. Josh, everything's been done, mate. There's nothing left for you to privatise. So water. you can – sorry? <laughs> water. No, we don't want to water it. We don't of want course, to privatise our water. Of course we don't. But, you know, you know, it's – Don't give him ideas. No, exactly. Yeah. You know, there yeah. is nothing left to privatise. As, can I just it's, read out something? Um, I, I read this as part of the, what I was reading on this on Thatcher. And um, when she died at the Ritz in 2013, film director, producer and writer Ken Loach said – Mrs. Thatcher was the most divisive and destructive Prime Minister of modern times. Quote, let's privatise her funeral, put it to competitive tender and accept the cheapest bid. It's what she would have wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but Ken Loach is an arch lefty too, isn't he? So he would say something like that. Yeah, of course Mm -hmm. he's an arch lefty. But, you know, it's... (laughs) Truth in that. (sighs) But it's fun. It was very funny, you know. It's just, you know... (laughs) I've still got a small soft spot for Maggie T. Really? But, yeah, just some of what she did. What did she do that was good, do you think? Well, she stood up to the Argentines over the Falklands. Keep keep yourself quiet over that, Trevor. Oh, you you old colonial, you. I am an old colonial. I know that. Now, look, it's just... um, Nothing to do with... um, That was one thing she did that was right. Um, She stood up to the Soviet Union... And, you know, she earned the title the Iron Lady from the Soviets because she was tough and that type of thing. Um, But really, and even the coal mines. Now, I can understand where she was headed with that Mm. because the coal mines were losing money and all that Mm. sort of thing, so she wanted them out. Now, as I said to the better half the other night when he was going off about her and that sort of stuff, because we watched that movie Pride, which is a very good movie, ladies and gents. I recommend you watch it. Yeah, Pride. Yeah, it's – um. It's a gay movie. Anyway, it was set around the minor Gay strike. movie about Margaret Thatcher. No, it was <laughs> long story, but, yeah, okay. there's – anyway. Um, and he was going off about her and I said, well, you know, can you imagine what Britain's carbon dioxide outputs would be had they not have got rid of their coal industry? You know, it would be held on higher then, now than what it was then. And so I could understand a lot of what she tried to do. But where she went completely off the rails was the poll tax mm. and that type of thing. Mm. You know, that's where she completely lost the plot. And I think by that stage then dementia had set in. Well, she also privatised the public housing. Absolutely. She privatised the public housing. And now there's no public housing. I know, because people that bought them bought them for a song and they end up with millionaires because they're buying them in London. Correct. Yeah. It just it was just a, a sell-off of what belonged to the commons. I agree, yeah. You know, it's, you know, I think that... um, Reagan blew the budget um, deficits in America to smithereens, like cut taxes and increase spending. Well, of course, the share market's looking great and growth looks good, but you've basically just... um, 
given a sugar hit to the economy yeah. and and borrowed um, against the House. So it all had to be repaid at some point, which Clinton, a Democrat, eventually did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Do you think Reagan was a better economic manager than Reagan? I mean, Thatcher, I meant to say. Do you think Thatcher was better than Reagan? See, one, one, one of the things I would I say is know. one of the reasons I don't like the American p- political system is they elect actors and, you know, real estate developers rather than people who've spent Good, their, solid. their lives either working in business or in, you know, in uh, academia or in politics. In other words, they know how politics and economics works, whereas Reagan was a freaking actor. Look, somebody who spent their time in politics doesn't make them qualified. Like this is one of the problems with the Labor Party is when you look at the candidates in the various seats, all I've ever done is be a Labor Party. Yes, but sort at of, least they understand how politics works. But, you, but yeah, the but point you, of being I, in politics I, I, is to know how the how world, world outside yeah. politics I, works. I take your point. You, you need to know how... But, how Everything outside politics works. In fact, see, that's why I think it would be better. Sorry to cut yep. you off, Trevor, but mm. you know, I think it would be better if you drew your if you drew your staffers from that sort of professional sort of mode, where you you know you go out to university and then, after that, and then you go and get employed by a union, and then you go get employed yeah. by a, by a minister, and that type of thing. Yeah. I think they should be permanently. They should be yeah. not barred from entry into politics, but I think they've got to have something outside of that sort of realm yeah. before they go in and do that. And, of course, we do get in our system a certain number of people who've, you know, spent part of their lives at least working in business or as teachers or whatever and then go into politics. Mm. And we get a few nutters that way too, you know. We've got Hanson and we've got uh, what's-his-face. Um, Just move the microphone a bit across because when you're talking to me, you're sort sorry. Of, we've got new yeah. positions in the studio, dear listener, so, <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm just losing your you know body what I, mean? I, I I do take your point that it's good to get people who are not – who haven't spent their whole lives in politics. Mm. Yeah, I, and I, I think I, that, I you know – And that. I don't know that the British system is any better because it seems to me that the Tories – are just, no, just landed are. gentry, aren't they? Like they are, yeah. yeah. You know, well, look at Boris Johnson. He's not landed gentry. Oh, of course he is. He's come from a very aristocratic um, upbringing. He's, I know he's like he's, upper middle class. Yeah, but when you when you look at when you look at them, they're yeah. all in the Eton. They're all yes. in the old boys it, of Eton. The, the and number sort of, of you know leaders who've come from Eton and who have just gone through that private school system. And they go to Oxford. Yeah, it's and a sort of very thing. narrow. Yeah, it's a very narrow gene pool. Yeah. Indeed. And the calibre is consequently really poor of mm. what they've got to choose from when eventually they win power and they've got to, you know, it's just a handful that they've got to go with. Do you think part of the problem is that politics is just not a very attractive career for well, most people? That would be part of the problem, yeah. 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 So, I mean. But what about the Labor Party? They don't throw up. Anything terribly flashy either, do they? No, no it used don't. to be years ago. Be. It, you it had guys to... who'd worked on the factory floor, had yeah. been the union organizer. They knew how yeah. how workplaces at least functioned, uh, and they'd had some real grassroots feel for what the working class man wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't know. You could say the same now. No, you can't say mm. the same thing now. Yeah. So, Thanks uh, very much, Sean, for your right, comment on my beard. Right. I like it. Right. So, um, <laughs> did he make a comment? He did, yeah. He said the beard suits right. me. Right. Um, what else have we got here? 
Um, just interesting. Um, uh, oh, let me just see. Because I had so many things lined up. Let's talk about America then. Uh, I was watching um, Planet America the other day. Do you ever watch that? Sometimes. Yeah, I think quite good. They were doing a thing on whether Trump can win. Did you email out. this out to me? No, because I didn't okay. think we'd get down to here. I had, sorry, no Scott, I had, you know. Um, I, I was going to print it out. And then when I looked at my printer right. as to how many pages were going, it was like 30 pages. And I was like, what? Yeah, don't print it out. <laughs> you just have it in front of you like I do. I never print I, this out. I, yeah, yeah, I do. Gone. I have it on the screen. Yeah. But sometimes it's nice to print it out and then read it and highlight yeah. things. That, But okay. when it was 30 pages, I thought. Yeah. Back, back to American Trump. Yeah. And so at the moment, the lead that um, Biden has according to history, is insurmountable. But what this pollster was saying on Planet America, and apparently this pollster is a guy who got the result right in 2016, he says that when you – all those other polls, when they're asking people how you're going to vote, people lie. The people who are going to vote for Trump are either embarrassed or they have other reasons where they don't tell the truth. Mm. And so – to get around that, one of the things that they use is a technique I thought was really interesting to try and get the truth out of people. Mm-hmm. Instead of asking them, how are you going to vote in this election, they say, how do you think your neighbours are going to vote? <laughs> and That's that a- releases people to say, oh, they're going to vote Trump. And, and he reckoned that gave a more accurate answer. And on that basis... The, the gap between Biden and Trump is not that big mm. and it is actually possible. <laughs> Incredibly. Definitely, definitely possible. It I is think. possible that Trump could win. Mm. And the other thing I think we should all be aware of is that um, Mad Max was originally set in 2021. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so if, if, if Trump wins next time around, we could end up into a dystopian yeah. future. Well, did you see the pictures in Beirut after the um, – after the bombing, or after the explosion. Explosion, yeah. Uh, and there's people in the streets. They're throwing stones at police. They're, they've got their shirts off. They're riding. They're really angry. They're yelling stuff. And I thought, gosh, it looks like America. Hmm. No. Okay. It did look It did look a little bit like America. Yeah. Mm. America's not yeah. the only country yeah. that has people yeah. throwing stuff at the police. Yeah, yeah. They were I doing it in, yeah. in, in uh, Belarus. Yeah. After the recent election. That's right. The dictator who I had to poo-poo a few episodes ago and say, what are we doing talking about Belarus and judging and accepting their statistics? Mm. Yeah. So, did he win that election, did he? Of course. Who he else did. was going to win? Oh, I thought they, uh, they were talking about that woman that was up against him. I thought yeah. that she might have a pretty good shot. Well, yeah, and she probably did, except that he was He's in control of yeah. the uh, the um, – the whole process. So he won. He claims he won with 80% of the vote and she got 9.9 or something like that. So mm. clearly he's rigged it. He's, mm. he's manipulated it. Trump, oh. uh, Trump has um, has come up with uh, he's still working, you know, trying to get the Christian vote and <laughs> apparently he said, this is Trump, quote, <laughs> talking about Biden, he's following the radical left agenda. Take away your guns, destroy your Second Amendment, no religion, no anything. Hurt the Bible, hurt God, <laughs> Mr. Trump said. He's against God. And so Biden oh had God. to say it's shameful. And um, 
It's shameful that anyone would vote for such a moron. I mean, he, you know, he's just wheeling out every possible thing that he thinks will make his uh, his base angry. You know, mm. he just makes it up as he goes along. Well, he's not honest. He's not sincere. He's not honest. He's a he's an absolute archetypal narcissist. I think absolutely he is. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But um, one of the things that I heard on a Cognitive dissonance, dissonance I was listening to this morning. They were saying, they were talking about this where he said that, you know, where Trump said that Biden's against God and that sort of stuff. And they said, isn't it, isn't it amazing that the almighty and omniscient needs a uh, defence from a local, lowly little human being down <laughs> yeah. here on earth, you know? Yeah. Oh, you're trying to put a rational argument around <laughs> a pretty crazy statement. Yes. Yeah, yeah mm. it's just mm. madness, isn't it? Mm. Okay, um, I am now scratching through crazy little notes I had, and one of them is from Giannis Varoufakis. He's the former finance him, minister. I love Greece, Giannis yeah. Varoufakis. I've got about three of his books up there. I love the way he talks. I love his accent. He's very sort of sexy foreign accent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe I could turn for Giannis. No, no, no. <laughs> so. Um, Anyway. You don't need he, any help with that, just he, let me know. Right, okay. <laughs> you don't mind a bit of Giannis Farifakis? He's got that leather jacket too. So anyway. I don't even know what he looks like. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's describing uh, our current economic problem in the world that is just uh, impossible to resolve. And why, here's how he describes it is in 2008 the financial system crashed. So it was refloated by central banks, reserve banks, but the ability to create jobs failed. So the real economy gave money to the finance sector. And um, so financiers had all this money to deal with. It was pumped, you know, the, the central bank pumped all this money into the system and it basically gives it to financiers and they say, go and get this money out there, lend it to people. Mm. So... They lent it to corporations, but corporations did not have any demand for their products. There was no point in investing in new infrastructure, new production facilities, new stuff, because they didn't have the demand to justify that. So what they did with the money... They gave themselves bonuses. They did share buybacks. So... They use the money to do share buybacks, which inflates artificially mm. the share price, which under most remuneration schemes for executives results in you know, bonuses yeah. for the executives but does nothing for the real economy. Mm. So doesn't produce anything. Yeah. So now we've got the situation of historically low interest rates and – our sort of pension and savings funds just can't earn any money from interest and there's no point giving money to businesses because there's no demand. So they're not taking money um, for productive investment purposes. And so um, so the, the whole notion of money is in real strife, according to Giannis, mm -hmm. and I would describe it better if I was not going to get to this point, but um, 
He says here that a number does not exist that if it prevailed as a rate of interest could simultaneously turn savings into investment and not destroy the financial sector. There is no So if you did raise interest rates, the financial sector would collapse. If you don't raise interest rates, um, there's nothing there for the pension funds. So um, what he says is he's quite a lefty socialist, Giannis. Yep. So he says a new deal is not enough. Rearranging existing resources is not enough. Share prices are turbocharged by government financialisation and always will be. Capital will always find a way to privilege itself. We have to address the ownership of capital. And he says that there should be no private banks and no stock exchange. But um, so he says we don't need private banks um, and that's part of his sort of theory. But... I, I honestly think when the collapse of the American empire happens at some point in the next 10, 20, 50 years, it, it is the currency that is going to be the trigger for it. Um, it's a pack of cards the way our finance and our currency systems are arranged. The US is just for years has been importing more than it's been exporting its companies are all based overseas. They're not getting any tax from them. <coughs> the central bank is just printing money. And normally, you print money like a banana republic, you should be devalued. And it's, these, it's this situation where the other countries have been funneling their money back into the US and buying US bonds that is propping up the US system. But at some stage... It's got to collapse, and that I think is when the the whole pack of cards will fall down, and we will look back and we will go, "How did we look at this money situation and allow that to go on and not think it was going to crash?" Mm. A bit like the sort of the financial crisis of two thousand eight. People look back and go, "Well, it had to happen. Of course, mm. in retrospect, this was going to happen." And some people some, did predict it, didn't a they? A few did, yes, mm. but. Um, Money is a thing that relies on faith, so it's a strange, um, it's a strange thing. Like if I was Prime Minister of Australia for a period or whatever, I'd say as part of my sort of maiden speech, I'd say, "I'll never lie to you about anything. I'll never beat up anything or exaggerate, except one thing: the currency." <laughs> I will, <laughs> I will lie and I will exaggerate and I'll say whatever I need to in order to maintain the illusion of the currency because it's simply a matter of faith and it's I'll bolster it as much as I can. Necessary illusion. You y- think? Yes, that's that's what that's what keeps it up is mm. is that illusion. So <coughs> I can remember that when I become prime minister. Yeah, absolutely, so I hold can me to it. understand. You know, I'm not 100% convinced of the need the need to nationalise all banks, but I can understand where he's coming from there. I don't understand his position against stock exchanges. I mean, you've got to be able to have a stock exchange so that you can, for want of a better term, democratise the ownership of these things. Mm. Because if you say that there's going to be no stock exchange, mm. that the public can't buy shares, Mm. And that type of thing, you're going to end up with a whole lot being owned by institutional investors and super funds, and that'll be the closest we'll ever get to it. And if there's any sort of corruption in the government, you know, it'll only be the people who are 
in cahoots with the government. That'll get me any money out yeah. of it, yeah. How did you feel about the sale of the Commonwealth Bank, Scott? Oh, look, it didn't worry me at the time. Right now you can think to yourself, well, it was probably a stupid thing to do. You know, it mm. was, you know, there were all sorts of arguments at the time that were saying that, you know, there'll be no, there'll be no, there'll be no pressure against the other uh, competitors and all that Mm. sort of thing. That's no longer the case because everything's been, you know, competition now has eroded all the margins and that type of thing in the banks. So I didn't have a problem with that. But But the Commonwealth Bank did provide that sort of, um, what would you say, uh, tempering sort of? Yeah, there was certainly that argument. Device. To the others. Yeah, there was yeah. that argument that that was the yeah. case. But I don't believe it did because, oh, really? yeah, the the whole thing was that, you know, if you can look back on it, it was the Commonwealth Bank that invented the whole bloody bank charge system, ladies and gentlemen. It wasn't, it wasn't any of the others. It was the Commonwealth Bank, while it was government-owned, that invented bank charges. So, Did they just copy what was going on overseas? I don't know. Right. It wouldn't surprise me, but mm-hmm. they just they did introduce it into Australia, mm. and for a long time there too, ladies and gentlemen, I actually had an argument with Optus when I was paying my phone bill because they said to me that you know you've got to pay this extra money for using your credit card. I said that's fine. I'll find the most expensive way that I can pay my Optus bill, and I'll go in and do that once a month. So I went in and paid my Optus bill by cash at the Australia Post <laughs> once a month. I did that so for that Optus would lose when did you do that a commission. To the post office. Yeah, exactly. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's what yeah. I did. You're a man of principle, Scott. When I was a man of principle. It lasted three years, but eventually right. I just got pissed <laughs> off with it, so I just paid for it over the credit with, over the credit card. But, you know, it's just one of those things that really gives me the shits mm. because it's the cheapest way for these guys to get paid mm. is via credit card yeah. that you then pay. Wouldn't you think that they, they would, would encourage that, to do but it, no. And therefore make it cheaper for you to do exactly, it Exactly, but no. They decided to charge me a little bit extra every month that I used my credit card. So I actually um, closed an account once many years ago because I was, um, I was paying a credit card bill and uh, you know how you, there's, a, you know, there's a due date and I think I paid it like at 12.50 a.m. or something like that. Mm-hmm. On the due day. In other words, I was 50 minutes past midnight of the due day. Right. But I paid it, you know, online. Yeah. And then I got a, uh, it was like a $30 fine or something for, for late payment. So I called the bank and I said, you know, why am I getting a late payment f- fine? And they said, well, you didn't pay it on time. And I said, but it was in the middle of the night. You know, the bank was closed. I still paid the account. And, and, and they said, no, no, it's, it's by close of business of the due day. In other words, like 5 p.m. or whatever. And, and I, said, I said, look, you know, I've been a customer of this bank for years and, and you're still going to hit me up for 30 bucks just for that, you know. I, I paid it literally before they opened for business the next day. Mm. And they said, yeah, well, you know, that's it. And, rules and are I, rules. I, I made a big complaint. And what they did was they sent me a letter saying, you know, in light of your complaint, we're going to um, halve the fine. So it became like, you know, 15 bucks instead of 30 or something like that. And I said, not good enough. And I, you know, as soon as I, like I had a, I had a bill, I had a few thousand dollars and, and so I just dis- made up my mind. As soon as I paid out the, uh, the credit card account, I went into the account branch where I had my account 
put the credit card on the counter and I said, could you close my account, please? Mm. Oh, yes, sir. Well, you know, what? what's your reason? I told him. I said, mm. unfair I'm, unfair I'm an, charges. I'm, I'm an angry old man. Yeah, I said, I'm an angry old happened. man and I'm just not going to wear it anymore <laughs> and sorry, you've lost my, my, my business for life. Mm. Who was that? Which bank? It was the St. George Bank. But right. they all, I mean, they all do it. That's the problem. That yeah. is the problem. They all do it. Scott, I pay some bills for my mother um, and by cash at the post office or by cheque, actually. Yeah. And they, some bills have an extra fee if you pay at the post office. So they sort of, doesn't work sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know, but at mm. the time it was free to use the post office. So mm. I, thought, I thought, well, this is going to be a pain in the ass to me. I had to go and grab cash, queue up, pay for it and that sort of stuff. But mm. anyway, it was just a little protest that I carried on for three years. Good for mm. you, Scott. Right. So we've Didn't got to achieve new- anything. But- <laughs> okay. So um, I sent you a quick uh, email today, I yeah, think, because got the, depressed. the yeah. essential poll came out with the question, do you think a federal government led by Labor or the coalition would be better at? And then there was a series of um, – actually, I put this on the screen for people um, – and there were a series of, you know, things to ask which which group was better at it. And the first one was reducing national debt. And and 45% of people said that the coalition would be better at reducing national debt than Labor, who only scored 27% and neither was 28%. Dear listener, you... Only need to look at the history of our national debt and who was in charge at the time to know that that the coalition, without fail almost, has been responsible for the blowout in our national debt. And if it wasn't while they were in power, it was because they laid the foundations like Howard and Costello did when um, we were in a mining boom and... They reduced taxes and did middle class welfare, which just crueled the budget and 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 they basically laid the seeds of of the mess that we're in. But um, um, there's a chart on the screen as well, which shows you um, the debt and basically it went up when the global financial crisis hit with the Rudd government. But that's something that you had to do mm. in a global financial crisis. Mm. And the um, coalition has been in charge all these later years and it's virtually doubled from when Mm. Abbott was elected. And um, if you go back through, um, let me see here, a little bit of history. Um, So I had it here about um, International Monetary Fund. Um, yeah, the International Monetary Fund looked at Australia and said that Australia's most needless, wasteful spending took place under the John Howard-led coalition government rather than Whitlam, Rudd or the Gillard Labor governments. Mm. So so this is just one of the myths that the coalition is good with money and the other thing in the one there was managing the economy. 45% said the coalition would be better and 32% Labor. Scott, as an ex- Liberal, card-carrying, liberal. Mm. Got any thoughts on on which party is better at managing the economy or reducing national debt? I don't think you can actually – I don't think the managing the economy comes into it anymore because, well, COVID notwithstanding, you Mm. don't 
governments don't generally get involved in the economy anymore. You know, that's even you – know, Keating was the last one that set interest rates. He handed that all over to the Reserve Bank. Right. You know, so that was the last economic lever that the government could pull apart from fiscal. Um, now, the coalition government has relied very heavily on fiscal measures right now um, because they think they've – got the whole thing that they've got to throw billions of dollars at the economy and that sort of stuff to keep us all out of the poorhouse. I think they're right. I think they're right. Yeah, absolutely. No no, no complaint uh, about what they're doing. Well, I would prefer prefer if they should keep the job seeker payment a little higher. But, you know, (laughs) (laughs) um, it's going to go down again on the 30th of September. It's not, you know, I... Cannot understand why the hell these bastards will not ask that will not answer the question. What do you think a permanent level to job seeker should be? Mm-hmm. Because they haven't answered that yet, mm-hmm. and that's because they're too embarrassed to answer it. Because they know that you know if you even got John Howard and that sort of stuff saying that the dollar is too low, mm-hmm. and you've got the business council and that sort of stuff saying the dollar is too low, then it's too fucking low. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it is ridiculous that they just won't answer that question. Mm. Anyway, uh, where was I headed with all that? Yeah, I don't think that the managing the economy, I don't think either party can lay claim to that. Basically because governments have a limited ability to manage exactly. the economy. Yeah, is they kind do. of what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, like, Reducing yeah. the national debt, well, <sighs> Labor had higher taxing policies at the last election. Mm-hmm. You know, so one would have thought that the Labor Party should get credence for that mm. because they were going to try and undo some of the nonsense that was introduced by Howard and Costello. Mm. It's sort of things that got my father's knickers in a twist was the, um, you know, the removal of imputation credits. Mm. You know, I told you the email he sent to the five of us, didn't you? No. Probably, and it sounds familiar. That yeah, he sent an email to five of us and said, if the Labor Party wins, you're going to have your um, your inheritance will be cut by twenty five grand a year. Right. And I just thought to myself, you know, that's ridiculous. This is mm. coming from the same old man that used to complain about people on the dole and that sort of stuff, getting mm. money for nothing. Mm. And he's complaining that the government's going to turn off his gravy train to him. Did you raise that with him at Christmas dinner? No, yeah. I didn't. Right. I didn't see him at Christmas. Right. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, But, you know, I just think to myself, reducing the national debt, it depends which debt you're talking about. Are you talking about the government debt or are you talking about the – whole national debt mm. because the whole national debt, that's got nothing to do with the government. That's mm. basically got a lot to do with private I'm, enterprise. I'm assuming it's the, the, the government debt. Well, if it's, yeah. got, if, it's got, if it's got to do with the national debt, then you've got to mm. give the Labor Party credit because they were trying to remove negative gearing yep. and they were trying to remove the imputation nonsense and all that sort of thing. But, but if Labor's going to win, they have to deal with this. But it's, in, it's very hard to do when the – Murdoch presses up against you and keeps promoting this idea that the coalition are the great economic managers. And and the idea, if you walk down the street and ask people about Howard and Costello, they'd go, oh, yeah, they're great economic managers. And they're actually the worst because mm. they were just in the best of times economically and they just blew it. But, they really um, did, didn't they? Yeah. They blew I it mean, You, they, you they talk about Jacinda Ardern being lucky, Howard and Costello with the mining boom, yeah. as Paul Keating said he was – he said Costello was kissed on the ass by a rainbow. rainbow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love Paul Keating's turn of phrase. He's mm. so witty, isn't he? Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, I don't know why the hell it just won't go away. You know, this whole thing about the, the coalition being a hell of a lot better economic managers. It's just, you know, 
you've got to understand the mining boom happens only once in a generation because it only takes only takes one time for China to move from a third world country to a second world country. And that's what that's what happened with the mining boom. And now that China's moved into the first world, the mining boom's going to come off. You know, because you're no longer going to be exporting a shit ton of uh, iron ore to China so they can turn into re- reinforced steel and that sort of stuff to go into their highways because it's a load of nonsense. It's not going to be there. And that was something that was completely outside of Australia's control. We were just in the right place at the right time. We were naturally endowed with all the with all the products and that sort of stuff to sell to them. Yeah. And in a great location to ship it to them. Exactly. Before people in South America or, or Africa could. Exactly. Hmm. Maybe the coalition is just better at selling mythology, you know. Um, They've created a myth around the party yeah, that they are better at economics yeah, and they, they have bought but, into it. Well, part of the problem is uh, the Murdoch press that governs everything here, um, they're, they're the printers of the story. So, that, you know. That's part of the problem. And I think the I ABC did, doesn't go hard enough no, on the dispelling these myths. It doesn't go yeah. hard enough. I don't mm. think that's right. You know, I think mm. it's um, – I, I think it was Turnbull that said that the Murdoch, Murdoch newspaper was a um, – was a was a, politi- political, a political party, party that employed journalists. Yes, that's it. You yeah. know, it, it, and I think that's right. Yeah. You know, and you can see that in Sky News. Mm. You know, that is an appalling news. It really is. You know, mm. up until the sun goes down, it's fine. Mm. Once the, once after dark comes on, you might as well turn it off because it mm. rots your brain. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Uh, Rupert Murdoch has a lot to answer for for that Absolutely sort of stuff. Absolutely, he does. Yeah, I saw a clip of Murdoch uh, just recently. You remember when he was uh, he was called to some Senate hearing in the United States, and he was hauled over the coals for something, and he said, "This is the most humble day of my life." And I was sitting there thinking, not the most humble day, the most humbling day, please. You know, he's the he's a media tycoon. He doesn't even get his you know, adjectives right. <laughs> well, that's the least of my concerns with Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, yeah. Um, we might wrap it up soon, but uh, next week, I haven't even told you guys this, I don't need you next week. Oh. I'm going to have a special guest. I'm going to talk about books. Oh, nice. You know how I was asking you whether yes. you'd read those books? Yes. So I was talking to my friend Peter about... Who's your friend Peter? Uh, he's been on the podcast when we spoke about um, the historical Jesus oh, and the yes. Bible, yeah. So, mm, yeah. so we were talking the other day about books and um, uh, and how he, because he was talking about fiction that he's reading. I said, oh, I don't have time f- for fiction reading this all this other That's stuff. That's what and, I often say to people mm, who ask me, "Have you read you yeah. know such and such a novel?" Mm. And uh, he's sort of got a basic theory where he uh, tries to read only dead authors <laughs> and things that are known classic. Um, and anyway, he selected sort of a 10 fiction books that, that listeners to the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast should know about. So we're going to talk about classic works of fiction and a little bit of a rundown because I know nothing about the Bronte sisters and he was sort of describing Wuthering Heights to me and I thought, oh, okay, well, that might be worth a read, you know. So 
So there you go, dear listener. That's next week as to completely get away from COVID. And mm. for people like Bronwyn, tucked down there in Victoria, um, possibly have completely binged on um, Netflix and have watched everything mm. and you're looking for something or to read, um, we're going to talk about books and I might throw in some non-fiction books and we're just going to talk about recommended books and what's mm. in them and, and that sort cool. of thing. Yeah. So, so uh, send in your suggestions. Watley says The Iron Heel by Jack London. So, um, um, so yeah, well, we're going to talk books next week, Peter and I. It'll be a good break cool. from coronavirus and all this other stuff. Well, mm. I finally finished The Testaments about a month ago. Yes, did you enjoy it? I did enjoy so it. So this is Margaret Atwood's no, sequel yeah, to yeah, The Handmaid's Tale. Tale. Yeah. It was a very good book. Yeah. She's a very good writer, isn't she? she? Is, yes. yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think she, and, once she's dead, Pete will read her stuff. Yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to start um, The Jakarta Method next. Right. So I borrowed yep. that from Trevor. So, yep. yeah. That's apparently sold really well. Oh, um, yeah. Maybe in its fourth or fifth um, reprint. So that's good. It's been selling really well for him. So it's a worthwhile mm. book for him. Yeah. I actually did a, a unit in Indonesian politics when I was doing my degree studies. So yes. I knew all that stuff about Indonesia. Right. Yeah. Had all of that come out about the US, was it? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yep, it was yep. very, very mm. much public knowledge, mm. yeah. For, mm. for those who have yep. studied Indonesian history or politics, yes, it was, mm. it was common knowledge. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So Pretty horrific uh, episode in Indonesian history, and I, I remember yes. when I was a student studying it, I was, I was thinking, oh my god, it was horrific, you know. That I mean, it was it was just gangs of militia, you know, supervised by the army. But I think just yep. local gangs would go out, grab people out of their houses, haul them out and into the fields, and disappear them. They were killing them in the most barbaric. Method, you know, either beating them to death or strangling them with fencing wire. Oh, it was mm. horrific. And, and the throwing US... the bodies in the rivers. And they, the, the bodies were washing down the rivers, similar mm. to what happened in um, Cambodia, Rwanda. Uh, okay. Yep. You know, and, um, and you know, the US was giving lists to the. Um, well, yeah, that yeah. part is open to. No, dispute. it's not. No. Well, you gave it. You, you mm. said there was. They mm. gave a list of five thousand, Trevor. Now they murdered anything up to half a million people. You know, nobody really. Yeah, well, knows they, exactly. I'm not suggesting they gave a list of five hundred. Obviously thousand, But they were giving lists without yeah, a doubt. Which is which is sinister. I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah it's very sinister. Mm. Yep. Right in the chat room, uh, guns, germs, and steel is one that's been mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read that. Mm. Um, and Musashi from yeah, Musashi, Musashi is, yeah. the old Japanese novel. Yeah, M U S A S H I. Yeah, Musashi. Yeah, yeah. Mm, couldn't so, tell you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, talk about books as a bit of a change sure. of pace. Yeah. So that's the plan, right? I think we should talk about books more often. Mm. Don't you? Yeah. It's well, a good thing to talk about. Mm. We get stuck in articles and blog pieces and mm. things, and so it'd be good to s- discuss some big ideas. Mm. That's what the aim is for next week. Cool. Right, dear listener. Well, that was good. Mm. And um, so that's the plan for next week. You'll see me next week here, and then you'll see the guys the following week. Nobody's going away. Nobody's got any holiday plans. Who or can go anywhere? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to go somewhere, but. Right. 
Right. <laughs> trapped. Yeah. All right. At least, at least we're trapped in the uh, the place where it's beautiful one day, perfect the next, right? Indeed. Mm. Yep, indeed. All right, dear listener, thanks for being with us. We'll be with you. I'll be with you next week. The boys will be back in two yep. weeks. See you then. Thanks very much for tuning in. Bye now. Bye, everyone. Thanks for seeing me, Doc. Um, I started listening to the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove, you know, just once a week to take the edge off, and now I can't stop. I'm downloading and listening to back copies almost every day. I need your help, please. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.